Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. This is our fifth episode in the special series from Chianti Classico. I hope these shows have encouraged you to drink more of the wines from this amazing region. If you haven't tasted any of the wines from my previous guests in this series, you'll definitely want to put the wines from today's guest on your dinner table. High in the hills of Gaiola and Chianti sits Badia Cotobono, a monastery dating back to the 11th century. In 1846, the Stucchi Pernetti family bought the estate. I met with Roberto Stucchi Pernetti, a passionate farmer who believes in combining modern, sustainable agriculture with tradition in the cellar. He believes that Chianti Classico should taste like Chianti Classico and only uses traditional grape varieties in his blends. Roberto and I sat down and talked about his passion for sustainable agriculture, what makes the wines grown in his vineyards near Monti and Gaiola unique, and of course to taste some delicious wines. This special episode of The Honest Pour is brought to you in part by the Consorzio Vino Chianti Classico and by Foodator.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Foodator.com. Hi, welcome to The Honest Pour. I'm John Lennart. We are at Baria Colto Buono here in Chianti Classico. And joining me today is Roberto Stucchi Pernetti. Welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Very nice to be here. Tell me about this place. It's a unique history. It's spectacular. Yes, this property is a pretty amazing property. It's back to the Middle Ages, to 1051. We consider the date of foundation. It was a monastery. And Badia so, means monastery. Badia means monastery. Coltibono is from Latin cultus boni. So good, boni, and cultus, which is the root of agriculture, actually culture. But uh, the word in Latin has many different uh, sure. layers of meaning. It has to do with well-tended, cultivated. So, and uh, so, but the property has always been divided into parts. So here we have it's mostly forested. We are quite high up on the Monte del Chianti, 630 meters, which would be I guess 1,900 feet. Not many vineyards at this altitude. We don't have any, and just a few growers will reach this height. The vineyards are in Monti, in Chianti, also part of the Gaiole Comune where we are, but uh, about 15, 18 kilometers away. Uh, lower altitude, uh, around 250, 300 meters, uh, so uh, where traditionally the grapes would ripen a lot better. Now we can say something later with climate change, now things are different and you could grow at this altitude. Yeah, right. But in the old days it would have been very difficult. How did you get into the wine business? Uh, well, I kind of grew up into it because this is a family property, so I, uh, I, I grew up as uh, in, into this family. On the other hand, uh, we grew up in Milano. My father wasn't uh, uh, making wine as his main activity. In fact, he supported the winery, luckily for us, for a long time, through a different, a completely different activity. Uh, so uh, we used to come here in the summer. So here I fell in love with uh, forest, uh, agriculture, growing things, and uh, only later wine, I must say. Wine came in. Uh, so I started studying agriculture, but in Milano originally. Well, and, an interesting place to study agriculture. You think yeah, Milano, well, you think design, architecture. Yeah, yeah. But my passion was with, uh, with growing, so I started agriculture, but definitely not looking at wine. Plus, the degree back then was a very um, broad degree that covered everything. Um, as I, uh, and only later in the 80s, I started working here in 1980 and then kind of uh, grew into the wine and branched out into the wine side and then ended up going to UC Davis for, to complete my degree. Why did you go to America for that? 
Yeah, Italy uh, had an agricultural degree, at the time didn't have a real wine degree. Uh, and I wanted to do something, my, my father was pushing me to go abroad and well, I didn't speak French or German, but I spoke English. So. Oh, I see. <laughs> but when I started, I was going to study agriculture in the States, not necessarily wine. Okay. So I almost ended up at uh, Cornell or Penn State, or uh, those were two of the uh, candidates. But then in that time, I started working here while I was applying for schools. Um, decided to make an attempt at Davis because I started liking wine and ended up there. Uh, in 1982, so from 82 to 84. And then when I finished, I stayed for a year to work. I worked in Napa Valley in 84, 85 at Chapelet Vineyards with uh, Kathy Corison, who was the winemaker back yeah, then. Yeah. I was just a cellar rat, but she was very good at uh, involving everybody in the tastings. So Kathy Corison, quite a teacher Kathy to Carson. study under. Yes, 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 very good. I've seen her a few times since and I uh, really like what she still does these yeah, days. And at the time, uh, and she was very generous about like even with, I mean, with the whole cellar team. Chapelet wasn't a big winery, so twice a week we got to sit down when uh, she was doing, she and Philip, uh, the assistant winemaker, who I think has been winemaker forever there, was sitting down to taste the wine. So good education. But another thing is that one of my angle has always been uh, from an early on uh, working organically and my first exposure to that was in the 1970s, late 70s in, when I was studying agriculture in Milano. Ended up by almost by chance doing a course in biodynamic agriculture outside of Milano. There's an oldest biodynamic farmers in Italy. It was 1979. And I didn't really know what I was getting into. I just wanted a practical view of agriculture, whereas I was in school, it was all theory. And um, kind of opened my mind uh, you know, about the biodiversity, complexity of farming, how to treat properly the soil, organic farming. Of course, biodynamic, there's another level that's you know, spiritual, sure, yeah, yeah. very complex. And Dancing under the moonlights. Never completely got into that, but I learned a lot. It's been one of the big inspirations. And the other thing, when I was in Davis, uh, the university was far from the whole organic approach. In fact, very far, but uh, at least at the time. And, uh, but uh, there was interesting things happening around both around campus, around the Bay Area, of course, was beginning in the 80s of the whole farm-to-table. Uh, so I made good connections with uh, restaurants who are also clients of the wine, uh, places like Oliveta and Chepanese were doing. And they had a good network of farmers, which is very much where I went to learn uh, when I went back, when I came back here in '85 and started managing the state, I always would go to the states. And was that the plan for you to go to the states, study, and then come back to manage? The farm here? Uh, yes and no. I mean, it wasn't really a viable business at the time when I left, and still when I came back, it was kind of like <laughs> beginning to, you know, come out of the very difficult waters. So I wasn't even sure that there would be the state really. So it wasn't really the plan necessarily. But by the time I finished my period there, things were like uh, shaping up, and uh, some changes have beginning to happen. We finally had the beginning of a winery. Until then, wine was still made in the individual poderi. So I decided to come back, and it was a good time to get things going. And uh, some things had been started already, but there was a lot of work to do. 
In the 80s we replanted all the vineyards. The vineyards we inherited were, had been planted in the late 50s and 60s, uh, but and luckily for us with the old uh, local selections, you know, field grafting individual vines from the vines who were here. So we inherited vineyards that were planted like in the 60s, a little bit too wide for what we're looking to do, but so we decided uh, the vineyards were aging and quite uh, widely spaced. We wanted to plant at higher density. But we also decided to uh, replant a local mix of Sangiovese. So between 86 and 87, we selected 600 mother vines and planted a very broad uh, massal selection. So most of our vineyards are planted with this massal selection, which I'm really glad of. Because Why that? Because there is a good genetic mix, because it maintains the genetic mix that was in the old vineyards. Because I think more diversity is good for the health of the vineyards, but also for the style of the wines. Because with climate change, you get into very much riper grapes, uh, much more, uh, you know, things have really changed here. And uh, I find to having a little bit more differentiation in the maturation is actually good, gives texture to the wine. It's easier to make wines that maintain the freshness, which is part of what makes Chianti Chianti sure. to me. So, yeah, and I think uh, as a principle, again, the whole organic approach is also about biodiversity, which is something we do in the in what we grow between the vines, but I find it's also good to have more uh, more genetic diversity of vines. This goes very much against my Davis education. It was, <laughs> was all about clones a lot of cl- a lot of and about, of course, uh, um, uh, pure strain yeast, sure. which also we don't use. We do everything with indigenous fermentation. So all indigenous fermentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do a starter with grape, grapes uh, picked early on, maybe uh, 10 days before harvest, just to get a head start, make sure we have an active population of yeast. But we like the fact that, again, uh, more biodiversity, so more strains of yeast participate. And Sangiovese is very sensitive to the type of yeast. So uh, this actually, I find, gives texture, complexity to the wines, and I think it's important. I'm traveling all around to different uh, wineries in each of the regions of Chianti Classico. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find out what makes each region unique. What makes it special? What, what, what makes Chianti Classico from Monti special and unique? Yeah, so Monti is the southern part of Gaiole in Chianti, so we're part of Gaiole. Uh, I like to talk about Monti just because Gaiole is quite large as a comune. Uh, if you take it sideways, it can take as much as 45 minutes to drive from one end of, the, of Gaiole to Which the other. Which is a massive drive in Chianti. So, and, and, yeah, and uh, very diverse land. We have vineyards from 250 to 650 meters above sea level in Gaiole. Uh, we have different type of soils, so Gaiola is a little bit too broad. Monti is a little bit more uniform, even there there is diversity, so the problem is uh, uh, as you look closer it, it changes. But still, uh, Monti has a fair amount of, uh, let's say, classic limestone, uh, clay soil. We have about 20% clay in that soil, a lot of limestone rock. So we have good uh, water retention from the clay, but good drainage from the limestone, good mineral content. So very solid uh, um, soil that allows for uh, good uh, drought resistance. Everything is dry farmed. 
and make wines that are elegant but also very long lasting, good tannins for long aging. And I think that's pretty characteristics of uh, specifically of Monti. Some other parts of Gaiola have different soil like Galestro or, and, but for example here on the higher parts, uh, more like a sandstone type soil, sandy, uh, completely different. So again, you would have to break it down a little bit more to find uniformity really. Um, so Gaiola is, a, is one of the most maybe diverse comuni of all. Um, and as you move around Chianti Classico, you have uh, many of these differences. Um, the thing is, we are just, every, and I think everybody is just still figuring out what the diversities are because Chianti Classico has also been, has changed so much. So there's been, uh, everything has been replanted in the 80s and the 90s. So even though they're very ancient roots, it's also a very young area in a lot of ways. And so, uh, and climate change has been uh, dramatic here in the sense that we used to harvest late October. Alcohol levels were barely 12, 12.5%. Now we harvest in September, early October at the latest, and alcohol levels tend to be between 13 and 15%. So, you know, again, we're relearning viticulture. And you're 15 out of indigenous yeast. Yeah, no, actually we find that using indigenous yeast is better because uh, they, they uh, probably over time what's been bred in the winemaking and back to the vineyards and winemaking has been more alcohol resistant. So we find that we practically never have issues of stock fermentations. Uh, and I think, uh, and comparing notes with other people that, uh, uh, for example, use commercial yeast, we find that we tend to do better. So they're more resilient, probably because of the, the, the diversity of yeast that participates. So there's a process of selection of yeast that are more alcohol resistant, and we're very happy for that. Just because you're using indigenous yeast, though, it doesn't mean you're making natural wines. You use SO2 and... We use some SO2. Uh, now, what there isn't an exact level yeah, that what defines wine what's mean, a natural yeah. wine exactly. Natural. So, but I, you know, I think natural wine is a great thing in the sense that it is opening up uh, and it's helping to open up the conversation sure. about proper farming, organic, and to me, organic, biodynamic, natural, they're all very close. You know, sometimes there's, a, in this climate of tribalization, I call it, everybody's like, you know, bad-mouthing the others that are not <laughs> doing the exact same thing. You're not biodynamic, you're natural. <laughs> exactly, but I think actually we're doing things that are quite similar, and uh, so uh, I think it's more interesting to see about the things we have in common and comparing notes. I've learned a lot from biodynamic, but we don't use the preparation so wow. in that we are not biodynamic but the approach to soil management with you know the very diverse cover crop uh, either spontaneous or seeded with like up to 15 different species uh, wow. looking at uh, uh, biodiversity in the vineyards also to attract pollinating insects these are things that I've learned from biodynamic but I've also learned from the more American organic approach from other type of farming, uh, so there's many streams that converge into a uh, you know, better way of farming. I mean, clearly the wines you were making in the 80s when you came back from Davis are different than the wines you're making today, mm -hmm. more than anything probably because of the way you care for the vineyards and the way the vineyards have matured since then. How have your wines changed in that time? 
Yeah, the, the change again, we have vineyards are planted more densely, there is the climate also is helping to achieve better maturation. So let's say the wines were leaner, uh, more acidic, uh, for today's palate probably a lot more difficult to, uh, to enjoy. Uh, but and that was to do, yeah, definitely how vineyards were grown and managed and the climate that is also pushing in that direction. Uh, we again we haven't changed the genetic mix, uh, even though we are experimenting also with some clones. So it's very much due to climate and to the the, the approach to viticulture. Um, the wines are uh, more full-bodied, more colored, a little bit less acidity. I would say more easily enjoyable for today's palate. But our effort is also to maintain the elegance. Uh, the freshness and so uh, in fact now I think we're going almost growing backwards making sure the wines are not too ripe. Too fruity. Some, well, some yeah, that, we got into that time where everyone was looking for a certain wine critic's score and it needed to be really fruity and now we're going back dialing that back a little which is a good thing. Right but also I've been very stubborn in the sense of like uh, I've always felt maybe if the fact of working and studying in California helped me I've always felt that Chianti had to taste like Chianti and we're not trying to make Bordeaux or California wines which is a bit of an issue has been an issue in Chianti in Tuscany and uh, I used to get a lot of uh, you know uh, uh, hard time from colleagues saying you're making wines like a hundred years ago you know you should put some Merlot and some Barriques uh, to make the wines a bit more modern we've always maintained a, a very strong uh, direction in terms of traditional varietals uh, blending still some of the complementary varieties into Sangiovese and using for the most part large uh, cooperage for aging. So, uh, yeah, so I think you can make wines that are modern, but also that maintain the true identity of the zone. That has been the the, uh, the effort, and I think, uh, you know, it's it seems to be working, and uh, we're happy of it. I think wines uh, should taste uh, distinctive, and we're not all trying to do the same flavor, otherwise it would be very boring. It uh, would be. Should we taste some wine? Absolutely. So the first wine, and uh, I always say it's the most important wine, it's the wine we produce the most of, and the benchmark, and it's the Chianti Classico. Annata 2016 is the current uh, vintage and uh, it's uh, a blend of, uh, we use 90% Sangiovese from the Massel selections, we use a little bit of Canaiolo, Colorino, Ciliegiolo, three of the complementary traditional grape varieties. These also were replanted in the 80s to maintain a little bit of the the blend and uh, the, the nuances that make Chianti uh, special and uh, fermented indigenous yeast and uh, aged about one year in the casks here at, uh, in the cellar here at uh, Badia Coltibona. So we bring the, the wine from the winery, age it here and bring it back for bottling. And uh, The nose is rich. It's, it's not as cherry as a lot of Chianti uh, Classicos. I think there's a different kind of berry there, huh? Yeah, the nuances change from vintage to vintage. In the warmer vintages, you get into slightly darker fruit, maybe cherry sometimes, even in the almost some blackberry notes sometimes. It's, that's uh, what it's leaning towards to me a little, just mm. a little bit, but not in a clumsy way. There's still mm -hmm. a lot of finesse to this wine. On the, on the nose, there's a nice spice and fresh herbs. Mm -hmm. And then, mm, that one's all about balance, isn't it? Thank you. Bright acidity. I like to hear but that. But it's, you know, sometimes County Classico can get 
that really high acidity, which you almost have to have food to enjoy with. Mm -hmm. This wine, the fruit is plush enough and lovely complexity. So the things that help, uh, as I said, you know, the climate today allows to get riper grapes, a little bit lower acidity, but we also strive to maintain the freshness. For example, in the vineyards, we leave much more foliage to shade the grapes, protect them from direct sunlight. We don't do things like green harvesting, grape thinning anymore, because we, uh, uh, it anticipates maturation too much. Ah. So, uh, you know, things like that have really changed a lot. But I also think it's the work on the soil that is what matters the most. And uh, with better uh, farming, you get uh, soil that's more um, responds better also to climate conditions. Terrific. What's the next one? Next wine is Chianti Classico Riserva, and the current vintage is 2015. Mm -hmm. And so this is a um, the best part of the grapes uh, from that specific vintage. Um, we do a selection of the best vineyards for that year. Uh, in these vineyards, we'll do a double harvest. So part of the grapes are picked early and we'll go in the Classico. And then the rest will hang longer, picked at the end of the harvest for the Reserva. That's a way of like not having the negative effect of grape thinning, mm -hmm. picking too early, green harvesting, which anticipate too much. But at the same time, we get the extra concentration that we want for a Reserva. A little more phenolic ripeness than mm -hmm. this one. And then the best lots, we, we sort the best lots once they're finished, uh, as finished wine. So the best vineyards, the best grapes of those vineyards, and the best lots of those uh, made. So there's, let's say, three process, uh, three steps in selecting it. Two years of aging in uh, cask. So with a reserva, we'll also leave it longer in this, on the skins. Maybe a classical might be only two or three weeks with a reserva, four or five. Okay. But then each tank is handled. Uh, differently. With Sangiovese, a lot of fine-tuning, uh, micromanaging, depending on each lot, each vintage <laughs> is different, so it's a very, um, very expressive variety, and so you have to learn to kind of understand each uh, vineyard, each lot, and that's the beauty of it. Our approach is not to do uh, vineyard bottling, uh, because we feel that the best quality comes from blending different vineyards together. So more complexity, more so that's you know our specific sure. approach. Um, and in our situation, it's not there are some vineyards that are consistently the best. So we find the best quality comes from uh, choosing which vineyards go in each wine each year. Well, this wine, the nose is so elegant. It's really pretty, very floral, not floral, more perfume than floral, but, well, yeah, very elegant is the word on, the, on that one. As it's gotten warmer, Chianti has sometimes a little bit less of the floral note or floral herbal and a little bit more of the ripe fruit note than in the past. And this is definitely also an effect of climate change. But, uh, you know, it's important to maintain also those characters. For example, protecting the grapes from direct sunlight allows to have a little bit more of the floral or herbal notes, which are very nice, I think. Mm. Great finesse texture on this. Is 100% Sangiovese? This is also 90%. 90%. And then also Canaiolo, okay. Colorino, and Ciliagiolo in the blend. And... Um, Oh, this, this is wine made for long aging. Clearly, Classico yeah, the, the can Canada age for some years, but this can go for decades. So yeah. uh, the, the, the tannins are fine, but they're present in 10, with, with the acidity and the fruit in this wine, 10, 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. Easy, I can see that. Mm -hmm. Very nice. What's next? 
So next we go to our IGT San Giovetto. You could call it a Super Tuscan. Uh, we've made it since 1980. Uh, many people think of Super Tuscans as the blends with Cabernet or Merlot or so on. But there's a, actually an important category of Super Tuscans that like San Giovetto are made with 100% Sangiovese. It wasn't allowed at the time to make Chianti Classico varietally, so it had to be only since 96 they allow 100% Sangiovese, so at the time it had to be Vino da Tavola, but it was a bit of a response to the blends with Cabernet. It's basically a statement of pride into the local variety, saying we can do the best wine just with Sangiovese, and uh, so we prefer that approach. So this is always from the oldest vineyards, uh, long maceration on the skins. This one is aged in barriques instead of casks, even okay. though we use barrels for many years. So uh, French oak, but many passages, never more than 10% new oak, just because we want uh, the, the softening the, of the yeah. tannins without too much oak flavor, which Sangiovese doesn't handle all that well, I think, I find. So it's also a question of... It's very elegant nose, just it's... Not, not overly anything. It's just all these pretty little things happening together in harmony. Yeah, obviously more structure than in the Reserva, more texture, a little bit bigger, but still we like the elegance even here. Today we could uh, possibly classify it as Chianti Classico. It's allowed as 100% Sangiovese, but we also have to change the name because Sangiovese's varietal is not allowed. And for us, it's a little bit different. Uh, our Chianti Classico uses the complementary varietal, so we keep it in the IGT category. And all the wines we're tasting there are available in the U.S., correct? Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Well, the Sangiovese, this is special. This is Thank a you. So this is the uh, 13 vintage, which was a fairly classic vintage, a little bit cooler than 15 or 16, and I find that uh, it gives uh, for maybe a touch less body, but also uh, very nice complexity, very classic uh, flavors and aroma. And the again, the acidity and tannin to last for decades, this wine. Yeah, this is also a very, very good ager. Not that most people are going to set that wine and wait that long, but... <laughs> probably not. If, probably you have, not. if you have the ability to withhold, you'll be rewarded with something very special 10 years down the road. So Sangiovese is a small production, just 10, 12,000 bottles at most okay. in the best years, and not every vintage, so it's a, it's a fairly small production. Great. And then what's the last one? And the last one is even more rare and special. This is a fairly new wine for us. Montebello. Montebello is the name of the vineyard, so it's the only exception where it all comes from one vineyard. But it also comes from nine different grape varieties. Now, these are all indigenous varieties. Uh, I'm going to name them all. So, uh, Sangiovese, of course, but the Canaiolo, Colorino, Ciliagiolo, which we already found in the others. And then Mammolo, Foglia Tonda, Pugnitello, Malvasia Nera, and Sanforte. Other five indigenous varieties, part of the old Chianti blends. We've reintroduced them 10, 12 years ago. And uh, since 2011, we've made this wine, which actually uses precise uh, uh, amounts, the uh, same amounts of each variety. Are you co-planting them or are they do they have their own blocks or? no they are actually planted separately and this uh, initially we grafted onto an existing vineyard uh, in montebello uh, the all the varietals these other five varietals 
And so uh, they're picked and fermented and aged separately and then assembled. So that's what makes it. So it's a, both an homage to the old field blends, but also a modern made wine where you follow each variety separately because part of the process is sort of a learning process for us about these varietals. But we also find that they work really well together. So there's a synergy that comes from work from all the varietals where we find that it, uh, when we did the first vintage, we kept going back to how well they tasted when you blended all of them. And so uh, that wasn't the initial decision, but uh, we ended up uh, deciding to do this. And now it's, uh, we are on the 15, which is the third vintage, we did 11 and 13. And we're very happy with it. It's it's intriguing. It's it's like an old friend, but there's something different about him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's there's that Chianti Classico characteristic going on, but there's these other players that are bringing something different to the party, right. and yeah, really intriguing. So here, Sangiovese is just, uh, you know, com- complementary, like all the others. It's one of the, no, no, no variety stands out. And again, this is, to me, it's also interesting. I, I, I jokingly call it a post-varietal wine because it's, uh, but it also ties into a tradition which was very much of Chianti, but in many parts of Italy and Europe of, you know, in the old days of field blendings, but it was using many different varieties together. So it has something of a very ancient concept, but at the same time a very modern idea where you treat these varieties separately. But I think there's a, there's a plus that comes from working with all of them. And uh, I, I find it quite, it still has the terroir of Monti in a way, but with a different nuance that comes from the different varietals. Well, Roberto, thank you so much for your time. Your wines oh. are, in two words, they're finessed and they're elegant. Uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to come here and taste and visit with you. And I highly recommend anyone who's listening to this that's going to be anywhere near Chianti Classico, they make the drive up, up the mountain here and come and uh, see you at, at the at the monastery and stay maybe? Or you have an agriturismo we and taste your wines? We have an we have apartments and rooms as a bed and breakfast. We do visits, tastings, cooking courses uh, for the last 35 years. And we have a restaurant, so we're very glad to uh, host people that come from all over the world and uh, very happy to, uh, to receive people here. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, John. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpoorpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Poor with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Poor with John Lennart and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Poor. This has been The Honest Poor with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod. Thank you.